0: Welcome to Three Beers In, a craft podcast with beer news and reviews. Here's your host, Dominic Ribello. Hope the smell of that Tiger bomb doesn't affect my performance. I don't think it will. From deep underground in Staten Island's beer bunker slash virtual saloon, welcome to yet another episode of Three Beers In, the craft beer show bringing you the latest news and unique craft beer reviews. I'm Dom, and this is episode number 173. And this week on Three Beers In, we are drinking You Made Me Ink by Manskirt Brewing. Let me tell you, what a name. What a name, and what a beer. I mean, this really caught my eye. So first and foremost, after a fresh trip to Joe Canals, when you open up your beer fridge, and you see a plethora, or a plethora plethora when you see a plethora of just beer it gets you excited i mean it gets me excited i know it would get you excited too <clears throat> super pumped so i opened up that fridge and i saw i saw it was it just it shines at you the coolness of the fridge those beers just gently sitting there waiting for you to to take them pick me pick me they say pick me please but this one caught my eye because it, it's called it's called You Made Me Ink, and it's a black India pale ale. <coughs> Excuse me. A black IPA. Now, I, I'm sitting here, and I'm saying to myself, I've definitely done everything in the game. I've had everything when it comes to beer, right? Wrong. I went through on beeradvocate.com because you could go through the styles there, and I'm trying to see of, of Lagunitas, founders, 21st century, uh, 21st, 21st century, 21st Amendment. Uh, Victory Brewing Company, New Belgium, Clown Shoes, Deschutes, Founders Again, all Heavy Seas, all of these breweries have Pipeworks. That's a—that's another big one. All these uh, breweries have a black IPA, and I've never had it before. The only black beer I've ever had uh, was like a Schwarz, Schwarz beer, Schwarz beer from Korstritzer, and I think I've had another one before, but nonetheless... Uh, I've never had a black IPA before. And I'm sitting here saying to myself, is this even a recognized style? And it indeed is. So, of course, Beer Advocate gives you a description. But when I went onto my phone, because I do have it on the phone, the uh, beer judge's manual here has it in here. So I type in black IPA. And it's under the IPA. It's under the specialty IPA, but it is a black IPA. And it has a full description here in terms of the appearance and, and what you should be getting in terms of the mouthfeel and the impressions. And, it, and it's interesting to me that I've never uh, come across this before. So, <clears throat> according to BeerAdvocate.com, Black India Pale Ales, or Cascadian, Cascade, Cascadian Dark Ales, are characterized by the perception of caramel malt and dark roasted malt flavor and aroma. Hop bitterness is perceived to be medium to high, medium high to high. Hop flavor and aroma are medium to high. Fruity, citrus, piney, floral, and herbal character from hops of all origins may contribute to the overall experience. So they don't go into too deep of a detail here on Beer Advocate. But when you do look at the beer uh, judge's manual, they give you a bit more in terms of like, you know, like I said, if you don't have this application already, go ahead and download it. It's the, um, the just type in BJCP Styles. That's the Beer Judge Styles Manual. It really will give you an idea of what you're dealing with in terms of your beers. Tells you about the aromas, the appearance, the flavor, the mouthfeel, the overall impression. Um, it goes a little bit more deeper detail, but maybe we have something special on our hands here. Something a little bit different. I haven't had it yet because I've been drinking, now I'm not too proud of this. It's Founders All Day IPA. That's my pre-show beer. I'm sorry. Look, I was going to a barbecue. I was going to like a home uh, homecoming, a housewarming slash barbecue situation. And when you go into a supermarket and they're offering you 15 cans of this thing, you know there's going to be a other company there. Yes, I'm going to pick up the Founders All Day IPA. Even though they're, you know, Founders is not particularly popular right now with everything that's been going on. But I did get it. Here it is. And I've been drinking it uh, prior to the show <clears throat> Something I want to touch upon before I continue, I did mention this last week that I was excited to see the premiere of uh, this Mafia uh, documentary on docuseries on Netflix, limited series, called Fear City. Excuse me. Now, it came out on Wednesday. I watched it. I'm going to give everyone the opportunity right now to fast forward, okay, because I will not necessarily spoil it, but it may, okay, it might spoil it. It might spoil it. So if you do have it, if you want to see it, you haven't seen it yet, use this opportunity right now to fast forward. And for those of you that did not fast forward, here we go. I was, I was somewhat disappointed because my expectations of this docu-series, whatever the fuck, I'm just going to call it documentary from now on. I wanted to hear about, more about the mob. I mean, granted i did just finish watching the sopranos so maybe i wasn't satiated uh, the way i thought i would be in terms of the the la cosa nostra but it just didn't hit home for me and so as i'm watching it and if you've watched it you're going you're going to hear what i'm saying here like it, it just seemed as if it was a bunch of like old agents of the fbi and a bunch of nerds basically talking about how they brought down the mob but it's very anticlimactic. It's, it's just very, I mean, they do have some really awesome, uh, I, I'm assuming it's helicopter footage, old helicopter footage, or maybe it's CGI, who knows, of Manhattan um, back in the day. You know, it gives you an, a pretty good backdrop of what's going on in the city, but they don't really tell you much about the mob itself, other than they just had a grip on everything. And then them just figuring out how to bring it down. The only thing that really was exciting was when uh, they were talking about the, the guy who basically planted all the bugs throughout the five families. Like this guy, he was the exciting character. Everyone else was just an old former nerd because old people really don't come off as nerdy. You know, you're nerdy when you're younger. When you're older, you're just old. So you got these old nerds talking about how they nerded out at fucking catching the mob and shit. And, and to me, it was just really, really shitty. And that, I mean, it wasn't shitty. It was, it was okay. But mm. I really wanted more mob stuff. I mean, they just were so like. If I, there's also a generational thing here. So for the people that have lived through it, that are listening to the show, if I say to you who's Paul Castellano, you'll immediately know who it is. Uh, you, you people of my generation don't know, have no idea who Paul Castellano is, and like people of my generation know who John, everyone knows who John Gotti is. And you don't hear the name John Gotti until the end of the show, like literally the end of the show. So, I mean, this is arguably the most recognizable gangster or mob boss or mafioso probably in the history of the mob. And you, you don't even, you, they don't even sniff at him. They just mention him at the end that they killed Paul Castellano. The, the nerds were upset that they couldn't put him behind bars. End of the show, literally end of the show. So the way it started out was, it seemed like it was going to be exciting. You hear from two mobsters, a mobster lawyer, the lawyer for Castellano, and then the rest of the nerds. I'm going to keep calling them the nerds. I'm sorry. All due respect. They did a great job, blah, blah, blah. They got the mob, but they were just nerding out. They're like, uh, well, if we, uh, if, if we get the RICO charges, which is the thing, and then put the bugs on Okay. It was just, it was, I was very upset. Like I wanted to hear about more about how the, the tentacles of the mob got into everything. Okay. What was bigger than what's more, the more interesting story is the mob. I mean, they built America practically. I mean, if you look at the last hundred years of world history, the mob was involved with everything, right? I mean, World War II, the mob worked with the U uh, the, the S government to, to take over Italy, the mob allegedly, or, you know, uh, not allegedly, but uh, it's been speculated the mob helped uh, with the assassination of JFK. The mob built everything in Manhattan. Practically, the mob built Las Vegas. The mob did everything, right? The mob was involved. The it, it, there, uh, America wouldn't be the same if there wasn't any involvement with uh, organized crime in the way that they hand in the way that they did things you could argue would things be better or worse who knows i mean that's that's for smarter people to talk about but the fact of the matter is that is the more interesting story america is enamored by the mafia i mean it's it's gotten a lot less now other than like 2 years ago a mob boss got killed on manhattan uh, in staten island and then they said it was some crazy ex-boyfriend or something like that but who knows what's the truth anymore but I was just, I was let down. I was let down. I wanted to hear more about the mob. I want to hear more about how it started. And, you know, that that's not on the History Channel because, you know, they, they could be a little less uh, vulgar. One thing I will say about this documentary, when you look back and they were showing you news reporters and news agencies doing, talking about the mob and stuff, when a mob person or a mafioso was killed in the streets, they fucking showed it on television. Like, NBC News is like, and here they are taking the corpse of mob boss Paul Castellano off the streets. They're they're scraping him off because the blood is congealed. And, like, you see the holes in the guy's face where he was shot from the, his assassination on television. Now, I know, I think that there was still that Vietnam, um, I don't want to say the word hangover, but the echoes of Vietnam were still in the media because, uh, the one thing that was interesting about that war was that it was all over the news and they showed everything, you know, and that really uh, ramped up the anti-war effort, but that's another discussion. I just found it incredible that you were seeing this type of, um, graphic content in your evening news. You know, you definitely can't get that today. So, uh, I I wasn't thrilled with the documentary, It is what it is. Uh, I'm, I I mean, maybe you got more out of it if you've seen it. And that's the, uh, that's the end of that discussion. Have you been watching baseball? It just started. I'm recording this on Saturday because we got plans tomorrow. Uh, You know, the family, we're going, we're going to a pool, put the baby in the pool. But um, I didn't want to miss out on doing a show. I told you guys I want to try to do it on a weekly basis. Sports is back. I forgot to mention this last week. Sumo wrestling is back. We are in day seven, I believe, of this Basho. And it's really, really exciting. Not that probably anyone cares, but I was happy because there has been no sports and now is finally able to watch something. Baseball has come back. I'm not a huge fan of what they're doing. So apparently, here's this golden opportunity to have the viewer hear every sound of a real baseball game like i mean a lot of people don't understand like when 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 a pitcher throws the ball 95 miles an hour it sounds like a missile is coming in like you hear the it cutting through the air and then the the slap the snapping pounding of the leather the glove of the catcher like it, it's it, it's a surreal thing they have taken the microphones off of the 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 action and in the dugout i want to hear these guys talking They take that all away and they pump in fake crowd noise as if I'm retarded to not to know that there's like, oh, my God, there's people there that just it feels like they're there. I mean, come on. It it was really disappointing for me that that they they missed out on this because I was like, oh, I can't wait to hear the crack of the baseball bat without any crowd noise. You know, like you're going to be closer to the action more than ever. And they robbed us of it. No longer going to be uh, having that dream. It was taken away from me. But I hope everyone's watching baseball, having a good time, doing some fantasy baseball if you can. It seems like football is going to be happening, okay, which seems exciting. Just a a little bit of something to distract us from all of the crazy that's going on in this world because it is a bit crazy. And I hope that this podcast can distract you from some of the crazy things that are going on out there. You know, I hope I could do that for you. Right. Hop of the Week is coming courtesy of hopless.com Oh jeez For the description Oh man Got a little Subway sandwich with that <laughs> You know what I'm talking about uh, Hopless.com talks us uh, Now this is actually kind of funny It's, it's spelled uh, W-A-I-M-E-A And I thought that was like Way May, <laughs> but it's pronounced why Mia, which is kind of funny because I'm doing all the mob stuff and it's like oh, a Mia. Um anyway, <laughs> that's stupid. Uh this is because of Cane Brewing, because they just released released a beer called Waime uh Wyamea. Why Mia. Why And I think it's just uh, a beer that's focused in on just that hop, but it made me want to read about it. Why Mia is a New Zealand a new New Zealand dual use variety. Originally bred for high alpha and bittering qualities. Released in 2012, its heritage stems from Californian late cluster, fuggle, and sage. Despite its incredibly high alphas, brewing characteristics of Waimea include some decidedly favorable flavor and aromas of fresh, crushed citrus and pine. Scroll down here a little bit. have a scroller thingy. And that's it. So it has no other uh, names. Citrus and pine is what the, you're going to get from the characteristics. And its purpose is for bittering and aroma with an alpha acid composition of 16 to 19%. So that's that's pretty darn high. So let me actually just see if I type in cane. Why Mia" into the Google machine? Why me a punch? Why, why me a punch? Just came out from the Cane Brewing Company. Uh, 7.2%. What are they putting there? Uh, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a uh, backstory just in case you do run into it. Brewed in collaboration with the Aslan Beer Company, Waimea Punch is a 7.2% passion fruit IPA brewed with British-based malt, oats, and a small amount of crystal and lactose. Uh, it was hopped with Waimea and Amarillo in the Whirlpool uh, with passion fruit added to the fermenter. It was conditioned on passion fruit until all fermentable sugars were consumed, then dry hopped with Waimea, Amarillo, and Citra. Waimea Punch has tropical fruit and citrus notes, but finishes with a subtle tartness from the passion fruit. Actually sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty tasty. That's a pretty uh, decent hop combination there. So if you could go get your hands on this beer from Cane Brewing, uh, do so, because like I said, it is out right now from what I read. Uh, and it's not a new release. They've done it before, it looks like, but it's got some pretty good ratings here on Beer Advocate. Hang on, let me see. There's another. Okay, no, it's the same. It's the same thing. But it's one of their seasonal uh, rotating beers, something you can get your hands on and uh, try out a new hop. It's, oh, I'm always an advocate for that, a new hop. Beer news, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. Excuse me. For the beer news. Got a couple of uh, articles here from Brewbound that I think were pretty interesting. Uh, Nothing too, too exciting, but there's some stuff going on in the uh, craft beer industry right now. Can inventory is running low nationwide. The Ball Corporation plans to build two new plants. Now, it is pretty interesting. Every time that I look at, excuse me, every time that I look at a can, it has ball on it. It, It appears that this company has a complete fucking monopoly on cans. They even they even have a, a a bit of a monopoly on the Mason jar market. Can inventory nationwide has tightened due to the seismic shift in beer sales from on premises draft to off premises package since the COVID nineteen pandemic began. "Quote sixteen ounce cans are going to be a problem this summer," said David Rancino, co-founder and CEO of Austin, Texas based American Canning, told Brewbound. There is just such a strain on the supply chain right now. The shortage, Renchino said, will disproportionately affect craft breweries as larger companies re- receive their allocation from large can manufacturers such as Ball Corporation. Just because of their size, they get preferential treatment, he said of the larger beer manufacturers. American Canning sells blank and decorated cans to brewers and other beverage producers in bulk. The company sources its products from large can manufacturers, of which there are few. Ball Corporation, the largest can manufacturer in the United States, said, quote, Certain canned beverages, SKUs, have been in short supplies, particularly 12-ounce slim cans. In part, the shortage of those cans are being caused by the popularity of hard seltzers, sales of which were skyrocketing before the COVID-19 pandemic, Changed uh, beverage alcohol purchasing behaviors. That's segment's leaders, Mark Anthony Brands White Claw and Boston Beer Company's Truly Hard Seltzer, both use the Slim Can package. Prior to COVID-19, 2020 was already poised for a notable can growth across a variety of categories, says the Ball Strategic Communication Director Scott McCarty. For instance, hard seltzers have experienced explosive growth as a category, and specifically in cans, soft drinks, and still sparkling water. Categories have seen it too, with marketers shifting their package mix towards cans and away from single use plastics. Ball has turned its global manufacturing network to support domestic customers for the time being and has worked to boost efficiency at its 16 plants. And, da, 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 da. and it goes on and on about how cans are in short supply. Uh, seriously, because there's this other company that's selling out of 32 ounce growlers and the like. I mean, call me. I, I don't want to send. I mean, I have no idea the ins and outs of running a brewery or anything like that. But I mean, you could see people going to try to maybe. Uh, you could say that potentially these breweries that are doing curbside pickup, maybe they could push towards a sanitization, a sanitized growler situation where they could. You have the star sand in the brewery, you know, you do have it because you have best practices when it comes to your um, your OSHA standards. So say, hey, we will st- set, you just stick around for a second. You'd say, you know, you drop your prices just slightly, you know, maybe not too, too much, but just to try to entice the customers to come in and you say, listen, we'll sanitize your growler for you and then we will fill it and you we'll be on your merry way. Because most people that are going to these to these locations, to these the breweries are there for the support. And uh, <clears throat> I mean like to support the breweries and also to, uh, to enjoy what craft brew has to offer. Next article here is from uh, NPR.org. What beer sales tell us about the recession? And here we go. Craft beer sales are surging at stores, but craft breweries are still struggling. Cheap beer is surging, but it's losing market, uh, losing market share. That's because the economics of the beer business are complicated. But the beer business can tell us a lot about the last two recessions. Take Natty Light, for example. Natty Light falls into the category of what the beer biz calls subpremium, a category filled mostly with beer that is closely resembling water. You know, like those, the, what is it, like Cobra and stuff like that. Um, After a decade of decline, after over a decade of decline, the pandemic pushed the sub-premium beer sales up big time. According from data from IRL, a market research company, store sales are up over 11% as compared to the same time this period last year. The surge has happened despite the shutdown of colleges, frat parties, and beer pong. Sub-premium beer tends to be lower in calories and sold in bulk, which probably helps in the COVID-19 era. But when we first read reports of the surge of cheap beer, we thought it was mainly a sign that consumers were tightening their belts in the face of the economic collapse. Economists used the term, quote, inferior goods to describe products that sell well when people lose income. During recessions, cash-strapped consumers flocked to cheap stuff like instant ramen noodles, used cars, or Netflix as an alternative to going to the movies. This has also, to some extent, been historically the case for lower-priced beer, wine, and spirits, says Patrick Livingston, an analyst at IRI. Oh, it's IRI, not IRL. Excuse me. Quote, but what's interesting about this current period is that we really have not seen the effect set in, he says. Previous reports, for example, in the article, consumers Switched to Cheaper, Lighter Beer During the COVID-19, uh, they have missed while cheap beer sales are up. Overall, beer sales are up even more. There's been a 27.5% increase of beer sales in stores over the same period that was last year. And so while lower-priced beer has, has had a surge, it has actually been losing market share, according to the data from this company, IRI. Superior beer is lagging behind imports, which is up 15%, and craft beer, which is up almost 23%. Hey, look at that isn't that fun in here you know to hear cheap beer though is also lagging behind hard seltzers like white claw which is relatively expensive and has seen a 200 who uh, a 246.7% increase when compared with this time last year holy fuck jesus christ that's a lot of that's a that's an increase, all right. All these surges in purchases of more expensive beverages are part of the trend that beer biz folks calls to as premiumization. Premiumization. If anything, the premiumization from trends have been within the beer market have strengthened during the recent months, says Bart Watson, the chief economist. Uh, that's actually a pretty interesting name there, Bart Watson. Sounds like some sort of a meme name. The chief economist at the Brewers Association, a national non-profit, we know what that is. Uh, beer, te- uh, beer tends to be fairly recession resistant. In fact, IRI, these guys do a lot of hard work, the trend towards premiumization uh, began in the last recession and has continued to be the dominant driver of beer, sa- uh, beer sales ever since. Watson says that craft and other expensive beer trends to be somewhat insulated from economic downturns because of who tends to buy it? Young professionals with good jobs and cash to burn. You hear that, everybody? You're out there with cash to burn, apparently, when it comes to these beer sales. This is a bit encouraging, okay, to know that. I mean, and also think about it. I said about it before, when you go to your local brewery, this is one of the most sanitized industries because your product is, is so dependent on you being cleanly, okay, when it comes to what you're actually doing, all right? Now, this is another interesting article here. This is from madison.com. Hold on a second. Let me pull up the article here. Sorry if it takes too long. Oh, I could take this opportunity to take a sip of beer. I have one leftover overhead from the cane place. My God, is it good. I hope that gave this a really good score. Did I? Let me see picking up a little pithy here, too. Yeah, I gave it an 8.6. Well-deserved. Huh. This is from Madison.com, which I think is from Wisconsin. Beer Baron, I guess that's a person here. How much does buying beer at a brewery instead of a store help it financially? From Chris Drosner. Uh, How long is this article? I, I can't read very, very long articles because it's just, I, I try. Wait a minute. Oh, man, he actually starts reviewing beers in this article, so I'm not going to read the entire thing. So I'm just going to maybe do the question and answer part and then give you my little bit of an opinion on it. How much better is it for a brewery if I could buy can slash bottled beer directly from them as opposed to at a real t- retailer? Do they still have to pay a distributor a cut for their packaged beer they sell from their tap room? That's from Ben uh, on Twitter. And the answer to this gentleman, who is apparently the beer baron, to answer the first question, Ben, it's a lot. Actually, a lot. I didn't know you could actually put that in an in article, but he did. Unlike some states, so it can vary, and this is a national podcast, so you got to just take that with a grain of salt. Wisconsin allows breweries to sell both packaged and draft beer directly to its consumers. That's kind of common here. So you could grab a six-pack from the cooler and take it home for your from your favorite tap room after enjoying a pint or two. I've done that before breweries usually price their beer similarly to what you'd find at a grocery or liquor store. So you usually end up paying about the same, but the financial benefit, sorry, I scrolled too much, but the financial benefit to the brewery is much, much higher because they're capturing the cuts taken by distributors and retailers. Let's break it down here. Most bottled or canned beer, Sold in bottle shops or grocery stores are done so through a distributor that warehouses and delivers the beer to the retail retail accounts on behalf of the breweries. Distributors also have salespeople calling on these accounts to push their entire portfolio of beers and other beverages. The nearly universal standard for markup of these services is 30%. Retailers mark up the beer again. And while margins vary uh, more for retailers, hence the range of prices you'll see for the same product, 30% is also quite common. If you follow this backward, a six-pack of beer that retails for $10 is probably sold at the brewery for about 6 bucks. The brewery is making some money on that sale too, but packaged beer sold to retail is by far the lowest margin in their business. By capturing the distribution and retail uh, markups in a taproom sale, a brewer might go from making less than a dollar on a six-pack to making $5 a six-pack. Oh, that's pretty fucking crazy. While some brewers price their taproom-to-go beer to match common retail prices, strategies do vary. Since COVID-19 hit, Ale Asylum has been offering many of its beers for sale at the brewery for just $6 a six-pack. a dollar beer, baby. Well, well under the usual retail price. More common is to price to-go higher than retail to limit sales and support retail partners quote brewers have had a bit of a balancing act on, on uh, this because they are uh, sensitive to ensuring that they don't undercut retailers on prices. Said Mark Garthwaite, executive, uh, executive director of the Wisconsin Brewers Guild. At the same time, they don't want to appear to be padding their margins either. I get that. You don't want to seem like you're trying to be a bit more, a bit predatory here to the consumer and to your retailers and your distributors, because, you know, you got to maintain relationships with these folks. And that is the flip side of the benefit to the brewery. If Ben is buying a, uh, if Ben Ben is buying this six pack at the tap room instead of the local bottle shop, they're not getting theirs. And the distributor isn't getting theirs either. While distributors are often seen as the boogeyman in discussions about the industry's three-tiered system, Plenty of brewery people I've talked to over the years have told me that they value the relationship of their distributor. Well, I mean, of course, they're going to get their beers out there. But Ben asked about the benefit to breweries, and it is large. The question is precedent because of the threat of the virus's economic effect posed to the breweries. And then we talked about the survey. We know 65% are fucked up right now. He's talked about Wisconsin and how they're handling it. And I'm going to scroll here. Basically, it's going to be a profitable year. I mean, that's really great to hear, especially at the end of this article. Yes, yeah, this is just in Wisconsin. It's in my Wisconsin brothers of beer. I hope everything is well out there. But you got to try to go to these breweries as much as possible. You know, the curbside option pickup. I mean, that is really fantastic. I, I want to get my my hands on Black is Beautiful. I haven't done that yet. Things have been a little bit hectic you know, lately uh, running around and stuff, a lot to do, you know, life gets in the way of everything. I'm not driving into work anymore. That was a big thing. I was able to drive out and get the all togethers. So Black is Beautiful is definitely on my list of things to do. You gotta, you know, you, you wanna try to, if you're able, again, because this is a big part of the whole discussion, is that you don't wanna pigeonhole people into thinking they gotta do something. But if you're able to support your local bottle shops, I mean, if you could, if you could, um, I think of, like, the Thirsty Quaker, right? That is a fantastic little fucking place in the middle of Jersey City. Not in the middle of Jersey City, but, like, right outside the tunnel. The Holland Tunnel, I think, right? Holland Tunnel. And, like, you know, they... Every Friday, if you guys could do this, you know, if, if you're close to the Thirsty Quaker, or you could even just sign up for their newsletter, every Friday they got new beers coming in. And it's a long list, too. I've signed up to their newsletter. I see the new beers that are going into their, to their location every single Friday. And I find that really fucking awesome and special. And also, if you want to go and brew your own beer, please, by all means, go to the Thirsty Quaker. Now, I know this is the beer. Oh, my God, the hiccup's coming. Oh, I think I got the hiccups now. I, uh, nope, sorry. Uh, I know this is the beer uh, news part, but I got to give you a little bit of an update because I did get the kegging system. I think I mentioned that, right? I bought a five-gallon keg with a CO2 uh, canister or whatever, uh, bot- not a bottle, uh can. Uh, t- uh, what the fuck is it? A scuba tank, tank. A CO2 tank to go along with it. I got to get the tank filled. I got to sanitize the, uh, the, the keg itself, but it is just too fucking hot to make any beer right now. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a hiatus here before I go ahead and go ahead with uh, brewing. But I will get my ingredients and the like from the Thirsty Quaker because you do have to support your local bottle shop right now as long as well as your local breweries because they're very important too. This next article here is another one from brewbound.com, and it's a, it's an interesting one here. This was written on July 23rd, so fairly recent. The Boston Beer Company reports... Unbelievable gains here, okay? What do we got here? 42% growth in the second quarter, and the shares are up 21%. They're making a fuck ton of money. The beer uh, Boston Beer Company reported second quarter depletion sales to retailers growth of 46%, and shipments growth of 39%. A, f- a huge uptick here. Quote, we received depletions growth of 46% in the second quarter, of which 42% is from the Boston Beer Legacy brands, and 4% is from the addition of Dogfish Head brand, said Jim Koch in a press release. I am tremendously thankful for the efforts of the co-workers in achieving the ninth consecutive quarter of double-digit growth while maintaining a focus on quality and innovation. The Boston Beer Company is now projecting a full year of 2020 shipments, growth of 27% and 35%. I mean, so Boston Beer Company CEO Dave Burbick says that the company's growth was due to the Truly Hard Seltzer, Twisted Tea, and Dogfish Headcraft Brewery brands helping accelerate Truly's growth with the launch of Truly Hard Lemonade. I mean, holy shit. A Okay, Boston Beer also makes Sam Adams, obviously, and Angry Orchard, a net revenue growth 42% to $452.1 million. Compared to 2019. Yo. Holy shit. A ton of money being made right now by Boston Beer Company. You can totally see now why some craft breweries are trying to turn to the hard seltzers here. And for those keeping track at home, this means that Sam Caglioni netted about $54.5 million in this situation here. And a lot of people have forgotten that dogfish head went into that collaboration partnership type situation. We reported it here on the show when it happened. I think it was a little bit, I think it was about six months ago or so, maybe even a year ago. Ton of money, ton of money. And you know, it's so funny. The other day when I was at that um, that home housewarming uh, uh, barbecue, my wife, was offered a mango white claw. I took a sip of it and it's, you have no idea that there's even alcohol in there or, you or know, anything like that. It is pretty, pretty tasty. But hey, check it out, man. Sam Adams is doing very, very well. And, you know, the good news here is that we could see that things were a bit sketchy and a bit scary at the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis, right? Where we were a little concerned. I think I spilled some beer. That's sacrilege if you spill beer. Hang on, I put the towel down. Uh, we were a little nervous about what's going to happen to some breweries. Now I do know that because I get emails about it from from people in the community that's scattered out throughout there. Like you know, you got your you got your breweries in the middle of America. You got your breweries in a little bit less off the beaten path, and these places are suffering big time. They may not make it, and that's that's really hard. That's really really hard to a hard pill to swallow and. It kind of puts a face on this uh, whole COVID thing for us here at Three Beers Inn. I know that, you know, there's so much more that goes into it, but that's our focus here. Now, this next article here is from porchdrinking.com, a fantastic website that I love to frequent. So this is actually a bit of a, well, wait a minute. Let me, hold on a second. I had, here we go. Here we go. I'm going to read this one first. And then I'll just talk about the other one. So I I think you remember, you might remember, it kind of sparked my memory a while ago from talking about it a while ago. Stone Brewing Company, right? Stone Brewing, I really, this this hurts me a little bit. Now, let me just try to prerequisite, uh, prerequisite by this. So it's like, just because, let's say, I'm a big New York Giants fan, right? Just because the New York Giants do something that I don't like. It doesn't mean I'm not going to root for the team anymore. I can say I don't like that they did this, but I could still be a fan of the team, right? That's that's a, that's fair. But shame on them for what they're doing. So as you know, um when Keystone Light, right? Uh they they made a can where the word stone was very big on the can. So key was like maybe about an inch or so, stone was about three inches, and the word light was, again, about two inches or or one inch on the can. So stone was the big part of the can, and stone sued them, which was understandable, right? Shame on you, Stone Brewing, as written by or Kinsey Bernard on July 19th here. This is actually pretty fucked up. I mean, I got to say this just because I, I believe it. So in Moorhead, Kentucky, there is saw Stone Brewing Company, and I'm going to try to share, I'm going to actually make a note to share this article because you guys got to see this. The fucking Stone Brewing Company is suing these people for for copyright infringement and stuff like this. It, it has nothing, it does not look anything like Stone Brewing, okay? How can a company, anytime they see the word stone, Right away, go ahead and say they have to fucking sue people over it and stuff like that. I get it with the Keystone thing. And here I am going a little bit of ahead of myself here. I'm going to just set a reminder on Siri. Hold on. Remind me to set a post for the Facebook on the article at 8 p.m. Set an alarm. Jesus Christ. If it figures that out, God bless it. Okay. Added. Okay. Just added a reminder. I said set an alarm. I don't even know if it's going to do it. But seriously, shame on you, Stone, because when I show you guys this fucking the way it looks, it's absolutely unacceptable. On Friday, it was reported that Stone Brewing in Escondido, California, sent a cease and desist to Saw Stone Brewing Company in Moorhead, Kentucky. Patrick Fannin of Dreaming Creek Brewery in Richmond, Kentucky, sent out a thread of tweets explaining the situation Uh, lawyers representing Stonebury sent a cease and desist to Sawstone and, um, and Moorhead. Stone does not want them using the word stone in their name, which is fucking ridiculous. I hope they fucking lose. I swear to God, wait till you see this shit. Quote unquote, Sawstone is the name for the limestone bricks, which their building is made from in one of the, one of the only historical limestone buildings left in Kentucky. At first they agreed to never turn, to never turn Sawstone into two words, but lawyers wanted the three-barrel, oh, my God, brew house Brewery that made 100 barrels last year uh, to limit their distribution range. New Lawyer for Stone wants them to drop. Their entire name now going to court would be prohibitively expensive for the less-than-one-year-old brew. So th- this is predatory, and this is what's so fucked up. I mean, you, we talk about how big beer has their boot on the throat of the small guy. And this is where the Brewers Association should fucking step in and do something in terms of, like, advocating for these guys. They're less than a year old. They don't have the money to pay a fucking lawyer to represent them against a brewery that obviously is doing a hell of a lot better than they are. But let me just continue with the article because I'm going to get a little, I'm a little sweaty down here already. This is getting me even more hot. They, Stone, first wanted us to limit our geographic market, reach so that we could only market slash distribute within certain areas, predatory as fuck. We aren't even going to do any of that right now, Just uh, but just felt that it wasn't right. But now that doesn't seem to be an option anyway, with attorney number two, after attorney number one, after our attorney was on the call with him, sorry, pardon me, Nickel, who Blake Nickel owns the brewery, said the last thing Sawstone has heard from their attorney is that Stone was adamant that the California brewery would only consider a settlement proposal which requires Sawstone to surrender their trademark registration. Fuck you. This is so fucked up, man. This really turns me off. And I like, I like Stone because I like what they say when they, they, they show their middle finger to, to Imbev, but then they shit all over the little guy. It's so fucking wrong. Shit, man. How could you be so threatened by a fucking brewery in Kentucky that, that hopefully could punch above their weight a little bit and just make a little bit of theirs? Are they really a threat to Stone? Fuck. <sighs> Sawstone uh, Brewery opened in August 2019. They're like a year old, for fuck's sakes. And we'll be celebrating one year of business next month. Stone was founded in 1996, has nine locations, eight in California, one in Virginia. They had one in fucking China, right? They had something going on in fucking China. Oh no, Stone closed and sold its 30, it's $30 million brewery experiment in Berlin to brew dog, which was, I think is out of Scotland. But according to the Brewers Association, Stone Brewing is the ninth largest craft brewery company in the United States. So Yingling is number one because they're considered craft. So is Boston Beer Company. Then you have Sierra Nevada. New Belgium with an asterisk because they are no longer craft. They sold a lot. Duval, which holds call um, whatchamacallit. Uh Oma gang. Let me take a sip here. Then you have the Shinerbach people. Then you got Bells and you got Canarchy, which is a conglomerate. Not a little. It's like a little bit of a conglomerate. Of the thing. Then you have Stone. Then you have Artisanal after that, which is from Brooklyn. Oh, and I almost forgot to mention that the Stone filed the suit against uh, the Keystone Miller Corps. We know that because the Stone, you can't say Stone anywhere, apparently. For Stone to go after a small... Three-barrel brewery in Kentucky is shameful. Stone Brewing has the resources to hire the best attorneys and not think twice about being able to pay the bills. But that's not the case for a microbrewery that's trying to stay above water during the global pandemic. And it's a brewery that only sells beer in its tap room right now. I can't read this article anymore because I'm going to fucking throw up. I'm going to throw up and I'm going to hit somebody. There's no one here to hit, so I'm going to hit myself. This is some of the most... Um, this is such a fucking shame. And it, and it's just so wrong. <sighs> uh, just give me a second here. How could you do this? How could you do this? Uh, something. So a, a company who's supposed to be a strong voice for craft beer, right? A, a company who, who... I, I think I praised them not too long ago on the show about how they... Look into the eyes of this monster that is InBev, Anheuser-Busch, the Heineken people, San Miguel, all these motherfuckers. And then they come out here and they go after the little guy. Well, who the fuck? I mean, wh- wh- how? You're no better. Are you? How are you better? How are you better than them? How is this brewery? Wait, wait till you see it, guys. I swear to God. If you're hearing this right now, go to the Facebook, three, type in three beers in, two ends. In the search It's gonna be It's gonna be pinned to the top Okay How the fuck Are they a threat Honestly How are they a threat Are you shitting me right now It's so fucking ridiculous I really can't believe it I'm irate I'm irate Let me go get myself One one more of these uh, Fucking You made me ink This They made me ink God damn it Be right back Hold on yelling at any of you. It just makes me so mad because I really want to love Stone. I want to love what they do and I want to love what they're about, but damn. That's a bastard thing to do, man. Bastard thing to do. Okay. You made me ink. <laughs> Manskirt Brewing right here. Black India Pale Ale. Let me read the side of the can here for you. Uh, Not just for cephalopods anymore. Our black IPA brings you delicious... That fucking cane put me over the top a little bit here. That delicious roast and chocolate notes from the dark grains, along with citrusy and earthy flavors from the hops, an homage to the orange octopus on the wall of our brewery and the arm of our brewer. This beer is just so good you'll ink yourself. So, uh, canned on the 6th of 2020, fairly fresh, fairly new. Let's pour this one out and see what we get, huh? Into the St. Peter Sullivan glass. Nice pour here. Tallboy cans. Interesting. Uh, sorry if I sound very far away. It's a, it's an interesting present, interesting presentation. Looks like a bowling lane, and then there's just a black uh, black spots on a orange background. Very Halloweenish looking. Pour the whole thing out here, and we're good. So, so for those of you that are new, the three beers in, I, I, I drink this one. I do a pause in between hop of the week and the news and I have one and then I do it again. And this time I have more light because the light wasn't working before. And it actually changes how this one looks a little bit. I can actually see my reflection in the glass. So the look we have here, I poured it out of the tallboy can. We got two fingers ahead here, but it is black. Black as a stout would be. Slightly copper head, like an off-color white there. Uh, not totally opaque. Parts of the glass here look like a Coca-Cola or a root beer. You kind of see through that a little bit. But it's pretty darn dark, you know. I'm interested in to see what we get. Let's get a nose on it, shall we? Yeah, same as I wrote before. So it basically it it smells like a porter. Okay, you get the roasted malt, very earthy, uh, coffee notes to an extent here. Has no hop smell really at all. You know, if if the flavor follows the nose at all, it's it's not gonna be. It's I don't understand it. I I, I don't understand the style so to speak. Like if, if the nose follows this, the, if the, if the taste follows the nose, I don't understand. Okay. Head goes away pretty quickly. Looks like it has medium carbonation because they've got some bubbles coming up. Roasted malt, very earthy. S- some chocolate there, a little bit like a sweetness, but very roasty. Oh, hey, hold on. I got a little bit of a weird smell there. Hold on. Porter man, it smells like a fucking porter. It's good. Very roasty, very toasty smell there. Let me get a taste on it here. All right, very very earthy, very bitter, toasted porter. The finish is very bitter and dry. Right, I, I'm I'm waiting. When I take a sip, I'm waiting for any semblance of an IPA. To be honest, there's a coffee presence there, but that could just actually be from the from the roasting, really. Because how much how much coffee do you think they put into this here? Because they don't really mention coffee in this uh, in the description here. Smooth beer though throughout. Mm. There's a sweetness on the tongue in the beginning, and then you get a big dry bitterness that just. It seems some some most beers have a beginning, middle, and an end. This beer has a beginning and an end. They they meet each other. Very abrasively, um, it's strange. I'm trying to, when I drink this beer, I'm trying to say, okay, maybe the finish is going to have the IPA characteristic. Or maybe when it goes through my palate, when it runs through, I'm trying to say, where can I pinpoint the IPA part, right? Because as we read here, um, caramel malt, dark roasted malt, yeah, there, there. Flavor and aroma, there, there. Hop bitterness perceived as medium, to medium, high. It is bitter. Hop flavor and aroma, medium to high. Don't smell any hops. Don't taste any hops. Fruity, citrus, piney, floral and hop character throughout? Nope. Not happening here. At all. But it, it, I mean it's not a bad it's not a bad beer. But I don't understand it. I don't I don't get it. Maybe I mean and and the thing that makes me upset is that it, it makes me it makes me wonder am I fucked up? Like I Am I... Because I always took a little pride in my palate. Thinking I know what I'm talking about. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I don't know what's going on. Maybe this is too much for me. Overall, the style, it's a pretty good porter. But I'm going to give this beer a 2. Out of 10. Why am I doing that? So here I was intrigued. A black India pale ale. When you think of IPAs. Whether it's... (laughs) An East Coast style, West Coast style session IPA, double IPA, triple IPA, New England style IPA. Fucking IPAs dominate the beer scene. When you think of an IPA, do you think of a fucking porter? Do you think you're going to drink a porter? No. And then I read the description here on Beer Advocate. And then I read what they say on the beer judge's manual in terms of the style. Do I expect a porter? No, I don't know what they did in the brewing process. Maybe that they, maybe they brewed this to be a black India pale ale. That might be true because isn't a porter just an ale, right? But I do feel like there was a bit of a bait and switch situation here. A beer so good, you'll ink yourself. I think of this beer as a lie. Under the Kilt Manscrite Brewing Company beer, beer, brew series. I mean, it's a porter. This is a porter. I don't. I, there's no way to disguise it. There's no way to try to shape shift it and to be something different. I'm not getting anything fruity. I'm trying to wait for the. I, I, I'm trying to say like maybe there's a subtle citrus, pine, fl- floral, fruitiness there. Another mm. big sip. No. Guess what? If this is a porter, we get like a seven. Six and a half to seven. Because it's pretty good. Pretty good as a as a porter. But not as an India paleo. So, I don't think I'm harsh here. A two? I don't think that's harsh. I think that's right. Because, you know what? I wanted a little bit of an IPA today. Am I disappointed? Yes, I am. Will I get over it? Yes, I will. Because that fridge is full of beer for the next couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you so much for joining me this week. Don't forget, you can head over to www3 If you're listening on 3beersin.com right now, go ahead and click that merch tab. Buy yourself some merch. Help support the podcast. Tell your friends about us. Give us a good rating wherever it is that you find it. We're all over the place. Share it with your friends. Thank you so much for joining. Love you guys. I'm going to catch you guys next week for sure. Because, I mean, I kind of really want to get into that fridge. Especially after this one. A little bit of a dud. So sorry, man, skirt. You just didn't do it for me. Maybe somebody else. Who knows? But hey, to each his own. Love you all so much. Have a safe week. Have a fun week. I hope everyone is doing well during this pandemic. We're going to get through it one beer at a time. Thank you, everybody. Cheers and be well.